Praise the Lord. Preparing to go into the year 2013. 2013. Just going to look at some principles to prepare ourselves for the new year. And I guess it would include not just preparing for the new year, but things that we could evaluate to close out the current year. Amen? So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 3. The preparations of the heart in man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord, for giving us the awesome privilege to come before your presence, Lord, to worship you in song, to give proclamations unto the greatness of your name to pray before you and give unto your kingdom. And right now, Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we would study the the topic of preparations for 2013, that we would not only evaluate some of the things that we need to leave on this side and not carry into the new year. We praise and thank you, Father, that you would uh, speak to each one of us personally and intimately, reveal to us those things that are holding us back, that are hindering us, And, Father, show us how to uh, propel ourselves into a bright and prosperous future in the year 2013. We thank and praise you, Father, for this. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to minister to each one of us, to give us strength, peace, healing, comfort, advice, even reprovement, whatever we need from you, Lord. We thank and praise you, Father, for this. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Preparations for 2013. And it says here in our text scripture that the preparations of the heart of man and the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And one of the things you have to realize here uh, that is that there were some key words in this passage of scripture. The first one was preparations. And it says preparations in the underlying Hebrew uh, is referring to arrangements or your mental disposition. Amen. Arrangements. Or your mental disposition. So as we're looking at the preparations of the heart of man, it's saying, what are the things that you have on your mind? What are the arrangements you're making? The plans that you're making? And are these things from me as they're intended to be? Or is it something that you're doing of your own choosing that's outside of my will? If you really want to prosper, amen, in 2013, you have to evaluate, have I been on my own agenda in the year 2012? Or have I been on the Lord's side and doing his bidding throughout the year? Now, it's not something to criticize yourself or obsess over or beat yourself over. If you haven't done everything that you're supposed to do in 2012, according to God's will, hey, this is the time to evaluate it, to say, hey, I need to regroup. I need to redirect myself. I need to do this. I need to drop that. Whatever it is. I need to make some adjustments, in other words, so that I don't repeat the cycle in 2013 and come out the end of that year looking at things the same way as I did now. Amen? And if you've had a great year in 2012, by all means, keep on doing what you're doing. So the preparations of the heart of man, once again, is talking about the arrangements you make or what is your mental disposition? What is your outlook about things? Are you gloomy about the future? Are you despondent? Are you depressed? Are you fearful? Or are you upbeat? Are you looking towards 
uh, toward the new year with excitement? Are you anticipating great things in the year 2013? Now, as I said, it talks about the preparations of the heart of man. The heart of man is the core of your being, the essence, the things that drive you. It's those hidden things, those inner things that each one of us deal with on a daily basis and that sometimes some of us struggle with on a daily basis. Regardless, it's at the center of your being. It's really what defines you as a human being. And a lot of times we might say, I'm this or I'm that. But the true definition of the person is what are the things inside that maybe cannot be seen that really drive you, motivate you, and control how you behave on a daily basis or control the things that you pursue on a daily basis. I had somebody recently say to me, oh, I'm a nice guy, but I just get upset and I do this and I do that. Well, when you continually to do this and do that and it's negative and it's demeaning and it's oppressive and it's abusive and it's mean-spirited, you can't say that you're a good person because the definition of a person is not how they see themselves. It's more so what everybody around you is, is seeing. Amen? So when we're looking at the preparations in the heart of the person, we're talking about how does God see you? and How does the body of Christ see you? How do people around you see, see you? And would they say that the same things you are mentioning that define you, that you're pursuing, would they say that they see the same thing that you're saying? Amen? That's a true test. So the heart of a man is the very center of his or her being, and it includes the will, the feelings, and even the intellect. We see here in the text scripture, it says the preparations. Preparations of what? The very center of the person. The will, the feelings, and even the intellect. The preparations of all these things are supposed to be controlled by the Lord. And that's what we need to evaluate this time and see whether or not we need to adjust things so we're in the right place for the future. All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, we see, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. In other words, he's the one that could give you the true test or the true analysis of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Sometimes we can even deceive ourselves. Oh, I'm going after this because it's noble. And you know we always try to find ways to make things noble. It could be the most sinful thing possible, but we'll try to put a spin on it, try to find a way to excuse it, try to find some way to say this is okay, when deep down we may know that it's not appropriate. Amen? Hallelujah. All right, so the heart, the will, the feelings, and even the intellect. Another thing it talks about in our text scripture is the thoughts. The thoughts are the intentions, the plans, the advice, and the imagination. God says if you commit your works unto him, that he will establish what? Your intentions, your plans, your advice, and even your imagination. How inspirational is it that we commit all of our works unto God? And instead of saying that for 2013, I want to go out and do my thing. I want the next year to be about me, myself, and I. I want to go pursue this or that, and I don't care what anybody thinks. How great is it if we say, you know what? For the year 2013, Lord, it's all yours. I'm totally surrendered to you. I want to do your will. What's on your agenda for this year? And we see here that the end result of that is that we commit our works unto the Lord. He says that he will govern. He will control our imagination. Think about the creativity that you could have in the coming year. In whatever niche that you're in, 
It doesn't matter what the career is. It doesn't matter if you're going to school. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Just imagine if you commit yourself totally over to God, and now, instead of you trying to figure out how to complete that paper, <laughs> how to finish that report for work, how to make the money that it takes to get you out of debt, all of a sudden, because you've submitted your entire year and your thought, your intentions, your heart, your will, your feelings, and everything under God, all of a sudden, God says, as a result of you saying you're surrendered to and yielded to me, I'm going to illuminate your mind on how to handle all of these issues. Amen? And not just all those issues, but I'm certain without a shadow of a doubt that if we will be prosperous in 2013, God will not only illuminate our minds to know how to handle the current issues that we think are the highest priority, but if we surrender things to him and say, I'm doing your bidding, I truly believe that not only will God allow us to be totally in, in right standing with him to fulfill his will for the year, but he'll actually deal with all that stuff that we're dealing with. Amen? God is more... <laughs> than powerful enough, more than knowledgeable enough, more than wise and, and gifted and talented and powerful enough to give us everything we need, not only to satisfy his will, but also to give us the desires of our heart. But the first thing is to commit our works unto him. And it says here, if you commit your works unto him, he'll establish your thoughts. He'll establish your intentions, your plans, your advice, and your imagination. And that word establish means to be erect or perpendicular. Erect or perpendicular. So either you're going on a straight path upward to greater things, or if you want to think about the word perpendicular, it basically talks about you being really in, in a situation where you're on a straight line path, not going up and down. On the usual roller coaster that we're on day to day. But instead, I see it more as being God putting us on a path. We're upward moving and we're staying in conjunction with his will for our lives. It might seem to be outside of what everybody else thinks you need to be doing. Amen. And that's where I believe the perpendicular comes in. Amen. But even though it may seem you're going off the beaten path from everybody else. You're going vertically upward to greater and newer things in God. Amen? And he establishes you. That word establishes not only means to be erect or perpendicular, but it also means to render sure, prosper, or to make prosperous. So God not only elevates you and puts you on a path where you're going in a steadfast direction, but he also guarantees that it's going to be a prosperous journey. I've seen a lot of times where we've made mistakes, amen, and going off the beaten path. But how much more so can God make us prosperous, even despite the obstacles and the setbacks and mistakes, if we just commit our works unto him? All right, so with that being said, I just want to look at some principles that we can examine as we end this year and go into the next year. A lot of times in the last week of the year or the last days of the year, you know, we fast and pray and we do commit these things in the Lord and study the word and do a self-analysis and evaluation. I'm not talking about the one where, you know, oh, I'm okay, everything's all right, and I keep it moving. No, I'm saying really, really look at yourself, your motives, your desires, the things you've done, good and bad. Amen? It's not always bad to look at the bad points. Sometimes the bad points will show you what not to do in the future or how to improve on what you've already done. So it's not a bad thing. Amen? Now, the first thing we'll look at is that God doesn't want us to dwell 
on this or previous year's mistakes. Amen? Don't dwell on the mistakes of this year or previous years. It's time to move on. I mean, so many people spend their lives looking backward, 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 all the mistakes they did. They spend so much time looking back, crying over spilled milk, whining, murmuring, complaining, or feeling sorry for themselves, or saying that I made too many mistakes and I can't regroup. You spend so much time looking on the past that you can't even see that if you just turn around, there's so much in front of you. Amen? So God doesn't want us to dwell on the mistakes of this or previous years. Yes, we can have them come back to our remembrance so we can say, okay, once again, what not to do, or here's what I learned from that, but what I'm telling you not to do is look back on the past with pain. Look back on the past with shame. Look back on the past and say, because of this, I can't do what's ahead of me for 2013. Amen? So you can look back on the past as a learning experience or a testimony, but don't look back on the past as something to hold you back from your future, because your future is bright in God. All right, so we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. All right, so Paul is talking here. He says he does not state that he's apprehended everything that he can learn from God. And he's on a continual journey with God to improve himself, to press forward in the things that God has called for his life, and to learn more and more about his Savior and how to serve him faithfully. And he says, as I'm evaluating all the things that are associated with my life, he looked at his Roman citizenship, he looked at his education, and Paul had incredible education. He was trained under the great Gamaliel, who was one of the greatest theologians at the time. Paul learned under that guy to the point that later on he disputed him and basically showed him up. So Paul's a bad boy. He said, hey, I could brag about my past, my credentials, my citizenship. I could talk about this and talk about that. But he said, you know what? I'm forgetting all those things and I'm pressing towards the, the mark for the prize of the high calling in God. Now that word forgetting, and as it relates to us, it's not forgetting your past credentials, it's forgetting your past mistakes, not dwelling on them and allowing them to hinder you. That word forgetting means to lose out of mind, to lose out of mind or to neglect. Just think about that. Here's this great, this grievous, this heinous mistake that I've made that's been weighing me down for years. And all of a sudden, as you evaluate it, you said, not only am I not going to dwell on it or obsess over it, but I'm going to lose that thought totally out of my mind. And I know that's a hard thing to do sometimes because our emotions get in the way. And things happen, experiences, people. Sometimes people state to you, you remember what you did. Amen. And they do their part to remind you. Or you're going to deal with a new situation that reminds you of something. Or you come across somebody that reminds you of a person from the past. And it triggers these thoughts that come back to your mind. And you start pondering them. You start dwelling upon them. And the pain or the frustration or the fear or whatever negative emotion starts to come back into your mind. But he's telling us here, forget those things that are behind you. Amen. Move them or lose them out of your mind. 
Amen? Lose them out of your mind. And you can say to yourself, well, how can I possibly lose it out of my mind? Well, God does it for you. Amen? When he says that he's evaluating our sins and we plead the blood of Jesus, we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and we confess our sins, it says he is faithful and just. Amen? To what? To forget, to remove our sins from us. And the word of God talks about it. It says he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west of us. Amen? Just in the most simplistic point of view, as far as the east is from the west of us. If you were out in the field and you looked to the east, and you looked to the west, wow, that's how far he moved my sins from me. But I like to think even bigger. You know, I not only say as far as the east side of the earth from the west side of the earth, I like to think of my sins and say when I repent before God and he's forgiven me, he's taking it from the east side of the universe and cast it so far away to the west side of the universe that you can't even find it. Amen. And see, that's the thing. You can't find, rehearse, rehash, or feel the pain of something from your past unless you choose to bring it back or you allow somebody to bring it back to your remembrance. Amen? So a lot of times when you really think about it, we are self-mutilating individuals. I mean, we've seen this in everyday life, especially sometimes with, with uh, anorexics that, that are starving themselves. Or bulimics that are starving themselves. Amen? You know, malnourishing their bodies and rending their life and ruining their organs. We see situations where, where, where people are, are doing drugs and snorting things or they're taking razors and, and they're cutting themselves and stuff like that. And if you saw somebody doing that, you'd be like, what is wrong with you? You're mutilating yourself. But aren't you doing the same when you keep rehashing stuff that hurts you? Isn't that destructive? Isn't that kind of like a form of mutilation? God wants you to be at peace, to walk in his love and to experience his joy, to have the peace that passes all understanding, to guard your heart and mind, and yet you're spending all your time and your energy focusing on that great thing that you did or that great failure you make. Amen? Isn't that a form of self-torture or mutilation that you're doing to yourself on an emotional or spiritual level? So we have to... Do a work, amen, in terms of how we think about things ending the year and going into the next year. Yes, we can look back and evaluate some of the things that we did good and bad over the last year. But I'm saying to you today that as you evaluate those things that happened previous years or in this past year, don't sit there dwelling over it. Don't sit there beating yourself over it or obsessing about it. Instead, give it over to God and say, hey, how do you want me to deal with this? You know, yes, I'm willing to deal with the mistake, Lord, but I'm not going to deal with it from the mindset of self-torture, self-hatred, you know, fear, fear-based things that are contrary to the word of God. I'm going to do it according to your way and according to your word. It also means to neglect. Amen. That word neglect. You think about the situation of neglecting something like I, I choose not to do something that is necessary. You know, uh, we, we talk about neglecting a child. What do you do when you neglect a child? You don't feed them. You don't clothe them. You don't give them a proper living space. Uh, you don't give them the necessities of love and different things to keep them stable and to, to raise them up well, well uh, matured, amen, as an adult, well nurtured. That we would see that as a form of neglect. And usually when we think of the word neglect, we think of something negative. But in this passage of Scripture, God is telling you to neglect the negative thoughts and the obsessions and the, the self-hatred 
and the, the beating yourself up and the denial of yourself in a negative manner and the self-criticism and things like that. He says he wants you to neglect the process of recriminating yourself over stuff that you've done in the past. So forgetting those things are behind and doing what? Reaching forth unto those things which are before. That phrase, reaching forth in the Greek, means to stretch oneself forward upon. So God says not just reach like, okay, God, I'm reaching for my future. And you just put your little hand up and, well, maybe if I'm lucky, God will hand me my future. No, he said you need to stretch yourself if necessary to get it. Get what is yours in the year 2013. Don't sit there waiting for somebody to hand it over to you. You need to stretch yourself. And see, sometimes stretching yourself is not just in the natural. Sometimes stretching yourself is looking at the obstacles that have been there in the past, the things that held you back, the things that made you question yourself, and now saying that in the year 2013, hey, it makes me uncomfortable, it makes me a little nervous, but I'm going to stretch myself. I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to try it this time. And trust yourself that even if you make a mistake... And even if everything doesn't come out purpose, um, perfect, at least in the attempt to do it, you've experienced growth because you've taken yourself beyond a boundary that you weren't willing to go back past in the, in, the, in the past. Amen? So God says he wants us to forget those things that are behind and to stretch ourselves forward. Amen? For those things that are in the future. So that is the mindset that he wants us to have. When Paul said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that word press not only means to pursue, but to pursue something aggressively. Are we going to be aggressive about our future? Are we going to be aggressive about Jesus in the coming year? That's what he wants our mindset to be. We spend, like I said, too much time being aggressive or pondering the wrong thing. Well, if I didn't do this, I'd be further along now. And we all do it. I look back at, you know, different jobs and different situations I've been in over the years and sometimes, and I'm, a, you know, I'm doing well for my career right now. I've been in the field for 25 years, and if you look at it from a salary perspective and my role at the company, I'm pretty much positioned where a lot of people think I would be, but I still look back and say, well, wow, well, if this had happened here, I mean, we all have that, but... Or you say, hey, well, if this had turned out this way, I'd be doing this instead of that. I mean, we could drive ourselves crazy replaying all the different opportunities and calculating what might have been. Amen? So we need to stop obsessing over that and say, hey, here's the here and now. Here's what God has for me, and here's where I'm going. And see, one of the things I like to think, too, is that for all our thinking about what could have been, if it was really meant to be, to, to be, wouldn't God have made it happen? There were so many things that, I just talked to you of 25 years, so many different things that could have occurred over my life where this wouldn't have happened. Amen? And then even over the course of 25 years, we've had good days, we've had bad days. We've had healthy days, we've had sick days. We've had prosperous days, we've had poor days. Amen? If I look at the different days, like, you know, for all the bad days, I'm still here <laughs> at 25 years. So I don't define it by the bad days or the days I was laid up in my bed with 104.5 fever, the sick days. Why dwell on the sick day? 
I got over it. I, I, got, I got healed. So that was a sick day. But I healed and got over it. Otherwise, I'd be in the ground six feet under. Amen? So the same way, there's different things that happen in life. If you got past it, you were healed, delivered, set free, and moved on the next phase of your journey. So get over that and keep it moving. You have so much ahead of you that God has in store for you if you don't sit there dwelling on the what might have been or the should have, the could have. Yeah, should have, could have, and didn't happen. So keep moving. Amen? Because God has so much more in store for you. Look at Moses, 80 years out in the desert. I mean, mean, sorry, 80 years old when he came back. 80 years old. He could have said, my life is over. I went from the palace to being out in the desert. Nothing but dirt. What a waste of a life. I mean, really think about that. This man had chariots, horses, wine, the best meats, food. Rooms probably, this probably like would be the closet. And he goes from that to being out in the desert. Can you imagine what that must have felt like? I mean, (laughs) just think, any man that goes from that level down to where he was. There had to have been days where like, what a loser I am. (laughs) But yet, look what God did with him. Because he's open at the right moment. Needed some convincing. But he was ready to say yes at the proper moment in time. How many times have we done that? I had my pity pot moment too after the surgery. You know, healing the surgery, I started to get to the point where I was walking around the neighborhood as part of my therapy to try to strengthen my body back to normal. You know, I wasn't at the point where I could drive yet. Um, I don't know if I could lift more than 10 pounds yet, but I was starting to walk and pray. And probably shouldn't walk more than a mile, but I was trying to do two to five and I'm just walking and praying in the neighborhood. And I just remember this one day, I went by the lake. And as I was walking, it was just like, I'm self-employed and the business is not doing good. Barely got any money in the bank. Got, IRS contacts me and says, uh, there's a miscalculation return. You owe this money or you could dispute it. But I was like, I looked at the thing like, oh, this form came in late. They're right. I didn't do anything wrong. It's just like a form that I should have had came in late, so I never included that form in my taxes, and it threw off the calculation. So it's like I owed IRS money, people trying to take my house. <laughs> I'm healing my body after getting cut open. <laughs> you know, all this different stuff. And I had this moment where it's just like, you're 40-something years old. What do you got to show for yourself? <laughs> you freaking loser. <laughs> You know, just had a moment. And I walked and I just sat there and I, I remember I just walked up to the lake and I, I wasn't going to jump in. I walked up to the lake and just like, I didn't really say what a loser, but it's just like, I just said, Lord, it's like, you know I'm not wired for failure. So if you're going to get me to this point, I was like, the cancer could have took me. Like, so it's like, how did I get to this point? And I'm not even criticizing you. I'm not debating you. I'm not questioning you. I'm just like, how in the world did I get to this place? And I sat there for a minute, stared at the lake, just like, all right, I'm over it. <laughs> Kept praying. It's like, okay, now to go slay the next dragon. So we all have our moments where it's just like, what a mess I've made of my life. <laughs> but are we going to stay there? Amen? If your heart is still breathing, you still have something to attain in God. You still have greatness residing inside of you, 
And God has something he wants to do with you. If he didn't have anything left to do with you, the breathing will be over. The heart will stop beating. So if your heart is beating, your lungs are still working, God still has something that he wants to do with you. Amen? So don't dwell on the past. Keep it moving. Now, the next thing we'll look at is we need to evaluate the dead weight in our lives and remove it. And you may not have dead weight, but if there is dead weight, this is a good time to evaluate. You stop. <laughs> no pointing at children. <laughs> oh, Lord. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. <clears throat> Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. That phrase, compassed about, means to be encircled, enclosed, or hampered. Are there things in life that you're allowing to circle around you and block you from where you're trying to go? Are there things that are in your life currently that are hindering or hampering you from going where you want to go or where you see God taking you? And it says here that if these things are there, not to just sit there, but you need to do something about them. Before we talk about that, let's talk about the weight. The weight, according to the Greek, is a mass bending or bulging by its load, a burden or hindrance. It is a mass, it's a mass that is so heavy that it's causing things, it's a mass that is on something, and the weight of it is so great that it's causing the thing that it is resting upon to either bend under the pressure or the weight itself, or it's causing it to bulge due to the load. Have you ever seen something that was weighed down so much? Uh, I actually had a desk one time, um, and I had one of those, now we got these newfangled flat screen HDTV computer monitors. But actually, my desk right now, now I think of it, I had this big monitor, 21-inch. And back when I first got it, you wanted 21-inch, that's what you bought. This thing's about that wide about that tall and actually we just got rid of it and i was just like this carrying it out of the house thing you know it's huge and because of the weight of it being on my wood desk which is solid wood for year for years it was on it for years by the time i took it off the desk the desk which was totally flat is now concave it's it's caved in you can't, when you first look at the desk, you don't really see it, but if you look at it closely, you see that the middle of the desk is kind of curved in a little bit. Just by the sheer mass of that monitor being on for years. And see, that's a good point I just thought of. Sometimes you're bending by the mass of something, and a lot of times we think the mass isn't really bothering me unless you place it on me and I immediately break. No, something just stay, some things will just stay on you and weigh on you year after year after year and gradually cause the indentation, the bending. And then no matter what, at some point, if you don't alleviate the weight, 
something could break. Amen? Something could spill off the sides. Something could collapse. <clears throat> we see that with bridges all the time. You know, years and years and years of vehicles going over them, and they finally get to a point where they say it's unsafe for an 18-wheeler or maybe unsafe for cars to even go across it. So they'll shut it down because of not just immediate weight hitting it one time, but years and years of that pressure being upon it. That's why you see a lot of times these people just going off and, you know, doing these mass shootings. They didn't find any way to alleviate the weight. In their case, a spiritual weight that was upon them. And finally what? They exploded because of the weight staying down upon them. And one of the things, I saw two examples of the weight being upon them. And the thing we had to realize is, just as it says here, lay aside every weight. Lay aside the things that are causing you to bend, the things that are bulging your life, the things that are weighing you down and starting to overwhelm you before you break, collapse, or you're shattered, or before there's structural damage to your life. I'm going to give you two examples. You know, when ships are out at sea, a lot of times um, as they're coming to port or they're coming to an area that they're unfamiliar with, or if there's an area where there's been heavy drought and the, the level of the water has been reduced, a lot of times before they get to that area, they'll detect uh, via sonar or radar or different methods that hey, when we get to this area, we have to lighten the ship because we'll either get grounded. Uh, there's been times where in, during a storm they might get overturned or there will be some other kind of danger that will prevent them from reaching their destination. And as a result of this, a captain will often order them to jettison or dump overboard anything that is weighing down the ship because he wants to prevent it from being top-heavy and being destroyed. So he'll actually tell them to dump stuff overseas, and Kyle ain't going to like this one, but there's been cargo ships coming from places like Japan and stuff like that, dealing with a major storm, a hurricane or something like that, that literally dumped cars and other vehicles out into the ocean. Brand new. Brand new cars. There have been times where ships have had, um, you know how sometimes you'll see like a, a, a train with a lot of, Cars, sometimes ships will actually carry the whole, one of those whole cars for one of the trains on a ship, multiple ones, and they'll lift it off with these huge, you know, cranes. They've dumped them overseas. We don't know how many things are out there in the middle of the ocean. Brand new cars. Vo boats coming in about to get grounded or about to get overturned in a storm, come into, you know, a hurricane or some, a typhoon or something like that, and they say, hey, well, we got a choice. Losing, the, losing the, 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 the cargo or losing our lives or the ship itself. So they'll dump that stuff overseas because they got to lighten the load and prevent the boat from being top heavy. And they need to do this to spare the ship as well as the crew's lives. Another situation I thought of too is sometimes with aircraft. Um, aircraft have two major types of weight that they really concern themselves about. The one is the maximum takeoff or liftoff weight, which is... This is the weight of the aircraft on the ground as it's about to go down the runway and take off. They need to make sure that the, the load of the plane is balanced so they can take off safely. Then the other side of the coin is the maxim, maximum structural landing weight, which is basically the weight of the plane, including the passengers and anything it's carrying, minus the fuel that is consumed over the course of the flight. And sometimes if there's an emergency landing situation or they need to return after takeoff, 
some planes actually have a fuel dump nozzle that in order to land safely, they know that they can't come back in at the weight that they took off on, so they will actually release fuel out this nozzle in midair. You know, if you see a plane circling for a while, circling for hours, you know, that, that, that didn't get to its destination, had to route because of weather, or like 911 was the greatest day in history for planes dumping fuel as you had a lot of them that were coming from overseas and they had to redirect to Canada or Nova Scotia. A lot of them over the Atlantic Ocean, they dumped out fuel. Amen. <laughs> Why? Because if they tried to land with all that fuel, it either would have broken the plane up on the landing impact, it would have given it structural damage, or the plane actually could have gone up in flames. So to avoid that, the, the pilot actually jettisoned fuel out the fuel nozzle so the, compl- the plane can land safely. Amen? So we have to ask ourselves in a similar fashion, is there anything in our lives that is making us top-heavy? Is there something that is weighing you down, pressing on you, causing you to bend, making you feel like you're starting to break or collapse, destabilizing the structure of your life? If that's the case, you might have to evaluate these things and pray and say, God, I need to remove this thing out of my life before it shipwrecks me, causes me to collapse. You know, that might be something you have to do. But that's something we just need to evaluate. Another thing I want to look at, <clears throat> excuse me, is to renounce current sins. First John 1, 5 through 10 talks about that. It says, this then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right, so we see here that there is no darkness in God. Not at all. Not one iota. If we are to say we have fellowship with him, then we have to walk in righteousness because just by us walking in darkness, we're demonstrating that we're not at one with God. And that's not talking about you committing one act of sin. When I'm saying walking in darkness, I'm talking about a lifestyle in which you're continually, habitually, and purposefully committing sin without any shame. And if you go to God, you might say, oh, I repent, but you know in your heart of hearts, you don't really feel it. And the next time you get a chance, you're going to commit the sin again. That's not true repentance. And God's saying here, if you're walking in that kind of darkness, you're not in right fellowship with him. And as a result, you're not fully cleansed of sin. And you're not really walking at the standard of authority and in the gifting of God where he can um, release the full fruitfulness that he has for your life. So there's an easy way to resolve this. We don't have to sit there debating or scrutinizing or, once again, beating ourselves up. If there's something in your life that you're struggling with, God tells us that the remedy is simply to come before him and honestly confess it as sin. We see here, thank God, 
that if we have fellowship with him, that word fellowship means partnership, social intercourse, partnership. Just think about that. I'm partners with Jesus. You know, people may disappoint you. They think you're, you think you're best friends only for them to sell you out when it benefits them. Or they're not there, they're not reliable, responsible when you need them. But think about the partnership that we can have with Jesus Christ. Amen? And it says here, to remedy sin, all we have to do is admit the truth. Come before him and confess it as sin. And if we do that, we see here that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So you don't have to hold on to anything. It could be acts you're committing. It could be an attitude of the heart, whatever it is. If we go before God and we truly and honestly confess it, his word makes us the promise that he is cleansing us from that unrighteousness. Um, But if on the other side of the coin, if we refuse to say we have any sin, the word of God says we make him a liar. That's pretty heavy. (laughs) Jesus, you're a liar. That's that's pretty harsh. He's saying if if you're saying that you've never sinned or you don't have anything that you need to confess, before him, you're making him a liar. So we know that he's not a liar. So <laughs> where does the problem lie if we say there's nothing wrong with us? We need to come before him and just be open. That's one of the things I like about David. David, for all his sins, you know, adultery, lust, and murder, for all his sins, he came before God and he put it out there with an open heart. And matter of fact, he's like, forget all those people I did wrong. He said, before you and you alone have I sinned, Lord. Cleanse me. Watch me free. He told God to, to teach him. And when he talked about teaching, he's talking about the oriental style of instruction where if he's not paying attention, smack him and make him pay attention. He asked God to give it to him straight, to give it to him pure. Don't cut him no breaks and help him cleanse himself of his act. Amen. And that's really a mindset that each one of us can have. And the reason we know it's a good mindset is that according to the word of God, it says that uh, David was a man that was perfect after God's own heart that would fulfill all his will. Amen. So the good thing about him is that he confessed his faults. He knew he had faults and we can do the same. Moses had problems with anger. You know, smote the rock, which cost him his, his destiny, but yet God loved him enough that God took him and buried him himself. Amen? So we keep it real before God and confess our faults. He is faithful to do his part. So we just got to do our part. Come before God and say, look, I'm struggling with this. Yeah, I'm a mess. <laughs> I need to get my act together. You know, stop playing games with God. Stop trying to dodge the bullet. Just go to him. See, a lot of times as children we learn well, if I tell on myself, I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> but actually, the times our kids have told on themselves, they actually got cut a break because of their honesty. See, we could do the same thing with God. Sometimes we come before him and say, can you deal with me on this issue I'm struggling with? Instead of getting caught where God has to deal with us harder, things will go a lot easier on us. We need to learn to have a heart like David and just go right to him and say, God, I hate them with a cruel hatred. <laughs> Bust their heads up, God. David was here. God destroyed them, smite them, killed them. David made it real. He said, God, I want you to destroy them. I want you to do this. <laughs> oh, by the way, cleanse my heart. <laughs> so he kept it real. He's like, God, I hate them. <laughs> cleanse my heart. You know, anything that's impure in me, anything that's not righteous or like you and me, cleanse me, heart, God. So... 
He was right. And that's the thing. If you, if you have to do that part first, God, I can't stand those people. God, deal with me. <laughs> At least you're being honest, and God can deal with you. And you might come out of that prayer with your heart and attitude so cleansed, like, God, what I said about them earlier, I, I take it back. Can you bless them? <laughs> Don't smite them now. Bless them. <laughs> All right, next one. So we're t- we've just talked about renouncing current sins. Now we're going to talk about sometimes you're dealing with stuff that is more heavy in your life, that has a, a greater hold on your life. It could be something that um, you've done repetitively that you struggle with. And, and we all have things that we struggle with that are native to each one of us. Some people have problems with lust. Some have problems with greed. Some have problems with angry, anger. Some have problems with worrying. Some have problems, you know, uh, with, with power and desire for fame. We have all kinds of sins that each one of us, if we went around this room, um, if we talked about our pet peeve sin, the thing we struggle with the most, the answer in this room might be quite different. And to each one of us, we can't look at the other one and say, oh, well, oh how can you struggle with that? What's wrong with you? Because what is small to us could be life and death to somebody else. You don't understand how much this thing pulls on my flesh. So we all have, we all have things that are unique to us. And then some of us struggle with things that are a product of our past, too, past experiences, things that we did, things that were done to us. Some of it is generational, things that have come down your family tree for generations, alcoholism, you know, uh, uh, drug abuse, um, which they kind of fall, they fall in pretty much the same category, greed, lust, anger, you know, there's things that go down to generations, and even though they're under a category of sin, they may manifest them a, a certain way, you know, got bunch of divorces going through this family. Nobody can stay married in our family. These are generational things that could travel down. Depression. Like people in my family just struggle with depression. You know, these are things that travel. So you're not um, to be bound by these things. God wants to liberate you. But sometimes you can't just do a simple studying of a, a couple of verses and a prayer to alleviate yourself from those things. Sometimes you've got to take it up to a greater level and really ask God for a divine breakthrough. I need you to come in on this one. I don't have it in me to resist this, to fight with this. I, don't ha- I literally, God, don't have the strength to deal with this. I've tried a thousand times before. I can't do it. You've got to come in and supernaturally eliminate the altar of this thing in my life. You know, it's an idol, it's a stronghold, it's something I don't have the power in and of myself to defeat. And I've tried, but I need you to come in and do something supernatural. Amen? And in that case, you know, I usually tell people that they need to fast and pray. Amen? Isaiah 58, 5 through 8. Is it such a fast that I've chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head as a bulrush and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Wilt thou call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen, to loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, and to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bring the poor that are cast out to thy house? When thou seest the naked, thou wilt cover him, and that thou hide not thyself in thine own flesh." Then shall thy light break forth as the morning, and thy health shall break forth, spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee. The glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward. Re- 
Alright, so we see here that sometimes people will declare a fast. You know, a lot of times we associate fast with denial of food, prayer, meditation upon the word. And during that time, um, believe God for him to give us a supernatural breakthrough that we couldn't get through other means. Um, there's different types of fasts. Like I said, um, there's different lengths. Pam and I have gone on 40-day fast before where we would skip food all day and we would come home in the evening and have, like, soup and crackers, you know. And when we've done that, maybe it has something tied into Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's always that third day. The first day you're fine, second day you're fine. That third day, your head is splitting. Every time I've done it, my head is splitting on the third day. I just wake up with this bad headache. And I think it's the enemy like, quit the fast, quit the fast. Because he knows if you extend, you're going to get that breakthrough. So he really rears his head on that third day. And plus, you've got to realize that you're a three-part being. You know, you have a spirit that inhabits this fleshly body. You have your flesh, and do you have your soulish man, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your flesh does not want you to fast because your flesh wants to do its sin. So we think we're all schizophrenic when it really comes down to it because your spirit wants to be at one with God, and it never wants to sin. It never wants to break God's heart, but you always find yourself doing stuff. That's your flesh, and that's your will. I need this. No, you don't. I got to have it. Or you feel your body pulling you towards that thing. Amen? Whatever it is. It could be a fur coat. It could be diamond rings. It could be a car. It could be money. It could be chocolate cake. But you feel your body pulling you towards that thing that you got to have. And then as soon as you have it, you're like, oh, I can't believe I did it again. It's because your flesh pulled you. <laughs> or your emotions pulled you. Well, I'm an emotional eater when I'm upset. Well, that's your soulish man saying i'm upset the remedy is eat no you're upset the remedy is getting the word and say lord give me peace in this situation but see we we've taught ourselves emotionally to do other things because your flesh and your soulish man fight up against your spirit which wants to be perfectly in tune with god so one of the ways in which we can overcome these strongholds realizing that your spirit wants to be right but you've got two other parts just in your native being your flesh and your emotions, your soul, soulish man, don't want to agree with God. They want to do their thing. That is the part that's at rebellion against God. So two, 67% of you wants to sin. And one-third of you wants to be right with God. Just think about that. <laughs> so if you don't strengthen your spirit through the word of God and prayer and meditation, application of scripture, you're in a continual losing battle against your flesh and your emotions, which want to do the things of the world. Amen. So that's just 67% of you is contrary to God. Then you got the world system with all its influences, TV, radio, people, spirits out there speaking and trying to influence you. All these different things going against you. That's why sometimes if you can't get deliverance from something, you're wondering why. If you really think about it, one third of you is in agreement with God. Everything else surrounding you all the time wants you to do sin and unrighteousness. And that's why sometimes you've got to say, I'm so de determined to break the hold of this thing on my life that I'm going to fast and pray. And one of the first things you do is deny food. I'm not going to eat. Because when you don't eat, you starve your flesh. Your flesh gets angry. That's why it gives you that third day, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to make your head explode if you don't give me sustenance. And you fight it. And then you keep going. 
you break through it, and then all of a sudden you feel like you're more in tune, like, wow, I just heard God say something to me. You start hearing things, you start feeling deliverance. To pull those things on you, you don't feel as strong. And if you go through the full cycle of your fast, a lot of times you will see breakthroughs. And if you don't repeat the, the cycle of going back to the previous acts, you'll find that that stronghold in your life has now been broken. Amen? That's what a fast can do for you. It's a supernatural thing. Like I said, there's different kinds of fasts. Amen? We don't all have to do it the same. You don't have to go total liquid. If you're in a situation where, you know, for health reasons you have to eat, you just tailor how you eat. You still eat because God don't want you to put yourself in the hospital to fast. So you eat, but you might say, I'm doing on a fast where I can't deprive myself of food, but what I do is I'll deprive myself of pleasant food. No desserts, no juices, no things that really you know, tickle my taste buds, I'm going to just eat bland stuff all week. So you can still eat, but still do a fast. Now, fast, like I said, to your body and mind is not fun. <laughs> you will not like it, but it's really a labor of love and dedication unto, to God. It's a sacrifice, and as we see here, once you do a fast, one of the things it says is it removes, it looses the bands of wickedness. Sometimes you are bound by different things that keep causing you to sin or keep holding you down or keep you depressed or to go through your family tree and like, why doesn't this end? Sometimes they're going on because there's bands, bands of wickedness that are attached to you or your family. You know, sometimes there's heavy burdens on you. Sometimes there's people oppressed. There's sometimes people that have yokes upon them. And it takes somebody to say, I'm going to dedicate this time and my prayers, and my spirit unto God to say, give me or give all the people I'm praying for this breakthrough we need. So it is a sacrifice, but it's, it's a labor of love, but it gives you supernatural power to affect change. Amen? Hallelujah. I mean, I've seen this. Actually, I, I had a word, a knowledge for Kelly years ago over a health issue that he was dealing with. And if I recall correctly, we were coming off the 40-day fast, and it turned out, we didn't know at the time we started the 40-day fast, but on the final day of the 40-day fast was the first day of, of, of school. So Pam and I did a seven-day march around the school, and as I came out, I think I did four, she did three. As I, as I came out of my final lap, it's like I wasn't even praying for him. It was just like, bam, word of knowledge. And he gave me something regarding Kelly. I called him up, and then he later confirmed it medically. And I think it was before, wasn't it before you said the doctors even isolated what it was? So I had a word of knowledge of him medically. I'm talking about something intense. Like, we ain't talking about cold allergies. We're talking about, I told him specific internal to his body before medical science found it. So that came through prayer. I mean, it was a supernatural revelation. And he never spoke a word to me about anything. But the Lord told me specifically what was ailing him before medical science with all their devices can locate it. So you may think, like, I'm not really getting it, but I'm telling you, fasting and prayer does the supernatural. It really interacts, intersects with the power of God and the revelation of God from a supernatural perspective. All right. Um, another thing to say is make God your first priority in the new year. Make God your first priority. Third John 1 and 2 says, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospers. That word prosper means to succeed in reaching. To succeed in reaching. It also means to help on the road. 
And one thing that caught my eye this time, I don't know why I didn't notice before, it also means to succeed in business affairs. So God says, if you put me first in all things, he said, I will cause you to prosper, to succeed in reaching, to give you help on the road, and to succeed in business affairs, even as your soul prospers. So you do the soul thing first. Get your mind, your attention, your devotions right in God and make him the first priority. Then God says, all these other things will be worked out. Amen. I'll give you divine health and I'll give you prosperity, even in terms of business affairs, if you place me first. Praise the Lord. Next one I had was come out of your slumber. If you've been sleeping, come out of your slumber in 2013. That's from Ephesians 5, 14 through 17. Wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That word awake means to awaken from sleep. To awaken from sleep. It also means to collect one's faculties. So you've been confused? Don't know what you need to do? Focus on God. He says he will awaken you out of slumber and enable you to collect your faculties. He'll get your mind together. He will give you, when he says he'll give you light here, he's talking about he's giving you illumination. He'll give you clarity in the midst of the darkness or the cloudiness or the things that are vague. And then the last thing it means is to, to rouse from disease, death, obscurity, or non-existence. To rouse from death, I'm sorry, to rouse from disease, death, obscurity, or non-existence. So just think about that. God says, you know, see that you walk circumspectly. In other words, think about the time that you had before you focus and pray and meditate and seek me for wisdom. And he said, don't be foolish with the time you have ahead. You know, the, the years in front of me may not be as many as I had most likely will not be as many as I've already had. Amen? So he's saying, hey, with the time you have left, use it wisely. Use it fruitfully. Don't be foolish and just running out there, you know, drinking and driving or carousing and go bar fighting. And you, know, you got better things to do with your time. So be wise about your time. Amen? It's not just in terms of trouble, too, just even in terms of affairs of ministry, affairs at, at work. You know, sometimes... Maybe you can't speak up, but you shouldn't speak up because it's just not wise. It's not going to be fruitful, so sometimes you've got to learn to just sit back and like, you know, I don't have anything to say. And I do have something I can say, but I'm just not going to say it. I'm going to be circumspect. I'm going to be wise about how I use my time and God's gifting in me. Amen. And I like the word, I like how it talks about rousing from disease, death, obscurity. Some things are obscure, have forgotten. You know, oh, I don't remember that. Uh, what's that thing about? Or, you know, so obscure to me. And but he's saying that it's he'll arouse things in your life from that. Uh, or, I really like the last one to rouse from non-existence. 
you know, how many dreams have we had that may have died? It's, it's over. There's no chance that's going to happen. It doesn't exist in my life. It just ain't going to happen. And God comes to you now and speaks and said, you gave up on it, but I didn't. Wake that thing up and go get it. Go after it. Fulfill it. You know, pursue it. You know, make it happen. So it may have been non-existent previously, but God rekindles it and puts a spark in it and said, now is the time for you to go out and do it. Don't give up on the forgotten dreams. Amen? Go out and do it. So that's a great thing that God could do for our lives. Amen? Hallelujah. And trust God. You can write this down. Psalm 56, 1 through 11. just talks about how people will try to swallow us up and consume us and do different things to us. And we got to have the mindset in 2013 that no matter what the adversity may be from people, from the economy, from the government, from whatever it may be, amen, we need to trust God through all this uh, adversity and praise him for his word and the trust we can have in him based upon his word. And we need to praise and sing unto him and thank him for all the things he could do. That passage tells us I will not be afraid, you know, of man, because what can he do to me? as I'm trusting and depending on God. So we need to um, praise him. And one of the things I like about that, in verse 8 of that passage, it says, Thou tellest my wonderings, put thou my tears in thy bottle. Amen? You ever heard how they talk about our tears, God keeps them in the bottle? That's where it comes from. So your tears are not forgotten. He bottles them up. Amen? And he turns them to joy. So we need to trust God throughout all adversity. And then um, Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 and 3. That's a familiar one where it talks about, you know, write the vision and make it plain. You know, start to plot out some of the things that you want to do in the next year and don't forget about them. I already have a couple things, you know, I need to put on a list. You know, start to chart out some of the things that, you, you know, you keep putting off or you, you should have done or something you've been dreaming about, but like, ah, I don't know if that's for me. No, make a vision of it. Say, hey, this year I'm really going to go after that. I'm not going to let the God of me and my disillusionment or my intimidation or my, you know, self-deprecating um, speech or thoughts prevent me from doing that. Sometimes you make a God of that. You know, are you worshiping the God of heaven that says you could do all things or the God of, oh, I can't do not me. I'm too intimidated. I'm too anxious. Oh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm just, I'm nothing special. Sometimes you can make an idol out of that. So we need to kill off the God of I can't do and start worshiping the God of yes, I can. And I will go out there and attain all the things that he has for me. Amen. But it starts with us writing the vic, uh, vision and making it plain. One of the things it talks about there, I will stand upon my watch, set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say to me. See, we, pr- we need to pray and ask God, what do you have me to do for this year? And be watchful. We need to be on a spiritual perch looking out over the opportunities he has before us. And then when he makes it plain to us, write it down and say, hey, here's the steps. Here's the strategies. Here's the modus operandi. Here's the things I'm going to do in the coming year to fulfill the things that he gives me for this year. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm going to stop with that. Amen. So let's give the Lord a hand clap. Another year, 2013. Amen. We got through this year. And I was looking at a couple of things. You know, 13 is a bad, supposedly a bad number, even in terms of the Bible. <laughs> She's born on 13th? Oh, Lord. 
<laughs> in the Bible, in several places, you know, people associate it with rebellion and, and going away from God's divine order and government and going off and doing your own will, stuff like that. But the thing is, we should not allow anything to be under the confines of what the world says about it. So she actually has the right mindset that we should not give anything over. You know, we had the debate of, oh, well, Halloween is, is, is the devil's day. No, ain't no day the devil's day. And no number is the devil's number. Amen. So 2013, amen. God, the devil might intend it to be a year of rebellion and a departure away from divine sovereignty, rule, authority, and government of God, but we can make it a day where our lives are yielded unto the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So let's go evaluate things for 2012, from 2012, and prepare ourselves for 2013. Amen? The minds didn't take us out, so we got another year. <laughs> Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'll just do a, a joint prayer for the close out of the year and the coming year. If anybody has a special prayer request, feel free to come forward. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank and praise you, Lord, for allowing us the blessing of getting through another year of life. I thank you, Father, personally for allowing me to live um, for more than half a century, Lord, 52 years. Hallelujah. And I praise you, Father, for still having me healthy, getting me through sickness and disease, namely to still um, be able-bodied, still able to serve you. Praise you, Father, once again for 25 great, incredible years of being married. You're the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, but she is surely the Queen of my heart, and I thank you for that. And I just praise and thank you that um, you saw fit to give me a help meet that would be supportive, that would be a, a strong woman of God, amen, that would not um, just be about the things of this world or have the mindset of this world, but one who um, yields herself to you first and then um, serves the entire family and the church faithfully. And we just praise you to pour out uh, many, many more years of divine health upon her um, that she would truly um, find even in old age that her eyes would not be dim hallelujah nor her f fleshly strength be abated but she would be able to serve you hallelujah with the same fervency that she does even now as thank you father for uh, 25 years of being able to not only um, be united with her in marriage but also be able to to do it in you our marriage was devoted to you truly every aspect of our life was devoted to you and even allowing us to have children birthed into our um, family that even though we weren't raised that way, they've known nothing but Jesus their entire lives and truly have um, established their own relationship with you. So we praise and thank you, Father, for this. We thank you, Father, for um, our family here. Eli Ministries, that you uh, continue to bond us closer and closer together. We pray your divine blessings upon us, Father, even as we evaluate the things from the past year, the successes, the mistakes, the failures, hallelujah, the dreams, the goals. We praise you, Father, that if anything was incomplete, that you would give us a vision of how to fulfill it in 2013. And if there's new opportunities ahead that we're not even aware of right now, we ask you, Father, to speak them into our hearts and our minds, highly directly through your word, through prayer, 
through dreams. And, Father, as we pursue them, we thank you to strengthen us and encourage us, show us how to overcome all obstacles and enable us to fulfill them in the coming year. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this, as well as divine health, divine safety, divine blessings. Let us not only be blessed, but let us be a blessing in the lives of others. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Jesus.